In the message today, Pastor Josh Brady is continuing to teach from the book of Genesis as we move through our series titled, Stories That Shape Our Faith. In this series, we're taking a look at stories you've likely heard since childhood, but may have never thought more deeply about. As always, we pray that we'll be challenged and changed as we open God's Word together. And this time we are in Abraham and Isaac, uh, and it is the account more than likely that you have heard many different times and probably a few different ways. If you uh, started very, or very early, I know we do with our kids with, with the children's Bibles, and a lot of times uh, the the the. the thrust or the the importance of this passage uh, is usually just developed into a sentence or maybe even a paragraph at best. And it's this idea that God is always going to provide what we need. And of course, that is absolutely true. But as we look to the biblical account of Abraham and Isaac, there is a weight that sits even before we read the first verse of Genesis chapter 22. That, that should, if we understand it rightly, grip our heart and maybe even wrench that heart once it is gripped. And so, as you are turning to Genesis chapter 22, I want to give you a little background of how we get to a guy named Abraham and where Isaac comes from, okay? So, so it'll take just a little bit, okay? So there's this guy named Abram. Okay, Abram is 75 years old, and he hears from from God as a call on his life. And this call is to leave the land that he's in and to go to the land that God is going to show him when he gets there. And that's the call. Like there's no, and when you get there, this, and when this is going to happen, it's simply, hey, I want you to leave everything you've ever known. And then when you get there, I'll tell you, 75 years old. Okay, so Abram is the guy's name, and he has a wife named Sarah, or her name will soon be Sarah, it's Sarai. And then the Lord appears and tells him that he is going to have offspring, and this offspring is going to inherit all the land that he sees and all the land that he steps foot on. Now, this is important, okay? He's 75 years old. His wife is 10 years younger. So when they are leaving their land... When God is providing this promise of offspring, he is 75, she is 65, and they are well past the childbearing years. So God continues to talk with Abram and continues to mention in every interaction, your offspring, your offspring, your offspring. No doubt, Abram was feeling the pressure of having offspring to fulfill this mission. Evidently, offspring was a really important deal. So in Genesis chapter 16, the pressure of that moment becomes too much for Abraham and Sarah. They make a terrible mistake. He has a son with his wife's servant, which was his wife's idea, by the way. The servant's name was Hagar. And the son that was born is called Ishmael. And of course, that caused tension between Sarah, Abram's wife, and Hagar, the servant. So in Genesis 17, God doubles down on the promise of Abram's offspring. God promises again and changes Abram's name from Abram to Abraham, which means exalted father. So now... Abraham is 99 years old and still has no offspring between he and his wife, Sarah. So 
Abraham thought maybe God was mistaken in this. God tells him, no, you're going to have a kid and it's going to be with your wife. He falls down on his face and begins to laugh and says, how can me, a 100-year-old man, have a kid? So thought God maybe was mistaken and so Abraham brings up Ishmael, who's probably 14 at this time, and says, did you forget about him? Were you talking about him? And God says, no, clearly you and Sarah are going to have a son this time next year, and he is going to be called Isaac. And it will be through Isaac that a new covenant will be established, and all the promises that God has made up until this point, and then some, will be fulfilled. It will be through that son. So Sarah overhears this conversation as she is in her tent working away, and she begins to laugh. And it's similar to Abraham. She's 90 years old, and she goes into greater detail of why she's laughing, but I'm not going to mention it here. But if you want to read it, Genesis 18 is where you want to read. I don't think some of the younger ears in this room are ready to hear why she's laughing, but hopefully that encourages you. Is that in the Bible? Genesis 18, go read it. Y'all going to have some Bible reading this week. Then we get to Genesis 21. Sarah becomes pregnant with a son, just as God had promised. That son is born, and they named him Isaac. So to sum it up, this son is a big deal. He was promised 25 years earlier in the original call of Abram. When they were leaving their land, he and Sarah, they were going to a place that God would tell them as soon as they got there. And through their journey, they were reminded that through Abraham's offspring, he and Sarah's offspring, which would be Isaac, but they had no clue that that was coming. They had no clue when God would be faithful, how God would be faithful. They were well advanced in years, and they even laughed. How can a 100-year-old and a 90-year-old have a child? How in the world could God do such a thing? And God was faithful to his promise, and they named him Isaac. This son of promise meant everything to this mom and dad, but listen to me, meant everything to the kingdom that would soon come. All right. Through him would all the promises of God's people be fulfilled. And now, here we are. And that's where we pick up this morning in Genesis chapter 22. Isaac is more than likely, by the time we pick up in Genesis 22, a teenager or at least an older child. And life is good for Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. Then we get to verse 1 of chapter 22. Here it is. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, I am here. Now, this, this isn't the first testing that Abraham's had. Abraham had a couple of tests before this, failed miserably every time. As they are leaving the place and going to the place that God is going to, to send them, they, there was a few opportunities for Abraham to be truthful, for Abraham to, to trust in the providence of God and the fact that if God has sent them, he is going to provide for them and protect them, where he failed miserably. Twice he lied about who his wife was because evidently Sarah was beautiful and he was afraid somebody wanted her so badly that they were going to kill him to take her. So he lied and said that, he, that she was his sister. Okay, so failure number one. Then we go back to Genesis 16, the, the huge failure there that Abraham and Sarah could not have a kid. So Sarah says, hey, why don't you go and be with my servant? And he was like, yeah, it seems like a good idea, idiot. But still when given another opportunity, where are you? He said, here I am. Verse two, Genesis 22. He said, God said, 
take your son, your only son, Isaac. Now, time out. Is this Abraham's only son? We have Ishmael to deal with. But it is he and Sarah's only son. And if we are understanding what this this word here means, this only son is the idea, this is God's special son of promise that he promised to you and Sarah and made a covenant through. Okay, so, so understand when it says that, he's not saying, well, it's his only son, so, so Ishmael is, is not in, in the picture. No, what this, this idea is, it, it feels like that there is a huge weight on this boy. He is special. He is different. Through him, this new covenant is going to be drawn out. So he says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Morah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God has told him. Please don't miss verse 3. I can't imagine what he felt when he received this command. But verse 3 tells us, but the very next day he was obedient. Early in the morning, he was going to do what God called him to do. Verse 4. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. So this is a three-day journey, evidently. God shows him that's where it's going to be. And evidently, it is Mount Moriah because he could see it far off in the distance. And this is what he says. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and then come again to you. Don't miss the confidence here. I and the boy will go over there and worship both of us and then we will come back to you. Look, I, 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 don't, I don't intend to read into this and say, well, well, he already knew. I don't think that he knew. He knew that God was able, but he didn't know how God was going to provide. And so in the midst of all this pain, I could just imagine Abraham as he is sorting through what this, what this day, this new day, because three days he's walking up to it. He sees the mountain in the distance. He tells the two servants and the donkey to stay right there. And then he tells his son, hey, we're going to go and worship on that mountain. And we're going to come back. Please see what he said. He said he was going to worship. Church, there's a lot of times in our life that we don't understand what's going on or why it's going on, but the call for the believer in God is to worship him, even when life doesn't make sense. Verse 6, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and so they went, both of them, together. This is the reason. Verse 6 is the reason we believe Isaac was older. It's because he was able to carry the wood. But please also don't miss the imagery that is being painted for us in the first book of the Bible. The son of promise has just been laid across his back with the wood that will be used to sacrifice him. And now he is about to walk up a mountain. Does that sound familiar to you? And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Behold the fire and the wood. 
but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Evidently, Abraham didn't tell Isaac about the conversation. Evidently, there was a pretty big detail left out, and I, I, don't, I don't know what they had talked about, but evidently it was this idea, we're going to go up to the mountain, we're going we're gonna to offer God a sacrifice, and, and we're going to worship. That's what he's told us to do, and so that's what he was going to do. And so Isaac, being a little bit older, being able to understand and process information, looks around and says, well, we got the lighter, yeah, we got the wood. Hey, Dad, where's the, where's the sacrificial animal? Verse 8, and Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. One of the most beautiful pictures of the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ in all of the Bible. That God will provide for himself the lamb required for the sacrifice. Even though Abraham did not know how, he walked in obedience because he trusted God would provide. Oh, church, do we need this word today? That God is calling us to live faithfully and obediently in a land, in a world that is increasingly not like the world we are called to live in. And it may feel this doesn't make sense to do it this way. It doesn't make sense to, to be obedient this way. But God calls his people to trust what we know more than what we feel. Do you know him? And if you know him, do you trust him? And if you trust him, will we be obedient to his will and his word over our life? So Abraham said to his son, who had the legitimate question, I got the fire, I got the wood, but I don't have the sacrifice. His answer is, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So they both went together. I cannot imagine the gut-wrenching nature of this moment. I don't know how God will, but I just know he will provide. Verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abram uh, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. All right. A lot of times when we read Scripture, we read really fast. We go from one verse to get to the other verse. Please don't go so fast that you miss the weight and the pain of verse 9. Hey, Mom and Dad, can you imagine... Hey, kids, can you imagine letting them? Now, we know that he was evidently old enough to, to process the, the difference between, hey, I got the lighter and I got the wood, but where's the sacrifice, Dad? And he was also strong enough to carry the wood. I think there may have been a conversation in between the Bible's not telling us about. Or, and more than likely, this is the truth. Abraham had instructed Isaac to trust the Lord even when it doesn't make sense, and he did. So they get to the place. This is where God says, build the altar. They build the altar. This is where God says, put the wood. They put the wood. And now it's time to put the sacrifice. The Bible says that he bound his son and laid him on top of the altar, on top of the wood. Verse 10. And Abraham reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slaughter his son. The word slaughter is intentional. I like this rendering in the ESV. Here's why. Because the way that you were to do a burnt offering was very specific in how you prepared the animal. 
without getting too graphic in this, first they would come and they would cut to make sure all blood was able to run out. And then they would dismember this animal and then they would place it specific places on the altar so it would be burnt up. This was the method in which Abraham was going to have to treat his son. So listen, this isn't just the weight of, oh, I can't look at this. And even if, even if we could figure out in, in a mind, in a world, in a place that this father who loved his son, the son of promise, the son that has been promised for 25 years, that he was able to watch grow up, that somehow he would just stab him once and take it over. No, he was, he was actually being called to slaughter his son. Let the gravity of that sink into your mind and your heart right now. And so it says that the the knife is up and he is getting ready to bring the death blow. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, I'm here. I bet that response was pretty quick. I don't, I don't know, a lot of depictions has the knife up like this. I don't know if it was actually on the skin. I don't know if the blade was actually poking into the skin but hadn't broken through yet. But the picture that we receive is right before death comes to the son, the Lord intervenes and speaks his name. And immediately Abraham says, here I am. And he said, don't lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Church, God provided a sacrifice at the perfect time. But it wasn't just a sacrifice. It was a substitute sacrifice. Because the Lord had told Abraham to go and sacrifice his son. That was the command. That was the requirement. A father, a loving father, was going to lose the son that he loved. But in the very last moment, right before death would come from the father to the son, God stopped it and replaced the son with a ram. And so what happens here is Abraham went over and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. I feel like we can lose a lot of reality in the situations if we don't slow down and we don't, we don't take our time and pray through these scriptures as we are reading it. Can you imagine Abraham's joy as he is sacrificing this ram? Can you imagine Isaac's joy as his daddy's sacrificing this ram? No sacrifice moving past this moment would ever be the same for these two. When they would see the offered lifeless body and the spilled blood of the sacrifice, it would forever remind them of God's great grace through the provision of substitutionary sacrifice. That every time they would come, and this would still be a practice of their day when sin would happen, when something would go wrong, and God would require this type of sacrifice. They would take the animal, they would kill it, they would slaughter it, the blood would run out of it, and they would see a lifeless body and, ru- and bled blood running through the streets. 
But they wouldn't see it just as a function to get by. They would see it as God's great grace because they know that their sin caused that. And now it doesn't say this, but I just can't help because as I read it, I feel the appreciation of God in this. The fact that whenever they would sacrifice this animal, they would be overwhelmed by God's grace that it wasn't them, that it wasn't him. It should have been them. It should have been Isaac. That was the call. That was the directive. Isaac was supposed to die that day, but God gave grace and substituted Isaac with a ram. And now Isaac lives, and the people of God, their story continues because something came and stood in the way and took his place. Verse 14, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Verse 15. The angel of the Lord called out to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sands on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and together went to Beersheba and Abraham lived in Beersheba. And that's, that's where the story of Abraham and Isaac kind of comes to a close. Oh, but don't miss what their life is going to be like moving from here. Next week, we are going to get in one of the stories that helps shape our faith is the story of Jacob and Esau, the sons of who? Of Isaac. Now, there's going to be some crazy stuff that happens there. But it will be through Isaac's son named Jacob that eventually will receive a new name. What's his name changed to? Does anybody know? His name changes to Israel. And as the story of God's people unfolds, Israel has many opportunities to be faithful, and they're not. But in every failure, God is faithful still and still chooses to love them. And it won't be long before there's another sacrifice that needs to be made. One that the Apostle Paul writes pretty clearly about he would say that the wages of sin is, is what? It's death. So, so what, we, what we have earned because of our sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we should receive death, but we instead receive life. Not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. What did Christ do? Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Guess who the ungodly are? Us. 
just at the right time. Guys, the picture that Paul is writing here, it, it, the, 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 the same tension between Abraham and Isaac and that knife coming down with death's blow is the same tension that is held in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says this, but God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We should receive death. But at the last minute, God called our name and substituted us out and Christ in. He took what we deserved and instead of death, we get life. And so church, in the same way that Abraham and Isaac come off that mountain and they are worshiping and their worship's never gonna be the same, we as children of God, because of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, our worship should never be the same again. And I'm not just talking about the one hour that we sit in this room. I'm talking about every breath that we have in our body until we see him face to face. Let us never take another day for granted. Because God is good to us. He has been gracious. He gave his son. And that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that brings us to one of my favorite things we get to do as a faith family. We get to share in one of the most beautiful pictures of this that I can imagine. It's the Lord's Supper. So our worship team's going to come back up. And you may be sitting here and you think, today's Lord's Supper day. Oh, no, I didn't get my elements. Look, we have many deacons who are going to have the baskets. And they're going to be right here at the edge of, of all of these places. If you did not receive one of these elements, Lord's Supper elements, and you would like to receive one, simply all you need to do is raise your hand, raise it high, and they're going to come find you. Give them a few minutes. They're looking around. They're coming in. Just make sure your hands are held high, gentlemen, ladies. There we go. They're coming, I promise. Just keep your hand up. They're coming over this way right here. All right. As we are setting this up, let me be clear on what this is and what it is not. I know a lot of times we have people visiting, uh, and, and I'm thankful if you're here today. We practice open communion. What does that mean? It means that if you have repented of your sin and put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, you are a believer. You are a follower of Christ. We would like to welcome you to take this supper with us. Keith, right down here, sir. Thank you. All right, anybody over here? We have some in the back right over there. If you still haven't received yours yet, but we have some right here, gentlemen. You might have to wave your hand a bit. We're coming. It's going to get there. Right down here, brother. All right. But we do ask that you be a believer to take this supper. If you're here today and you're, you're not a Christian, you're here today and you've not trusted Christ to be your Savior, we just simply ask that, that you abstain from this next part of our service. You're welcome to stay in. You're welcome to prayerfully consider what this is and maybe what God is doing in your life. But we just simply ask that you would not take in this supper with us. This is for believers. To make sure everybody has Lord's Supper elements. I'm looking at you, you're looking at me. If you don't have one and you would like one, wave your hand at me. Great. Wonderful. All right.
We still have some right up top. There we go. You have 25 people coming to you. That's great. All right. And the beautiful picture that this is. I pray that we never take this supper lightly. Because in the same way that I believe that Abraham and Isaac would never be able to look at a lifeless sacrificial animal and the blood that was just spilt the same way again after this moment. I pray that we would never be able to take this supper lightly. That we would never be able to take the bread and the wine lightly. If you're like, is it wine? No, it's juice. We're Baptists. Simmer down. But if you would, if you would open the part that has the bread... My reading today will be from Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 19. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. Before we move on, I just want you to spend some time in silent prayer right where you are. Thank him for taking your place. you finish up praying, if you would take your element, turn it juice side up, remove the lid. It doesn't have to go all the way. Verse 20 of Luke 22 says this, and likewise the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Take Father, every time that I come and I take this supper, I am so reminded of all my sin, of my sinfulness, of, of, of the things in my life that, that for whatever reason, God, and I hate it, God, I, I still am drawn to things. And I'm reminded in and of that, I am no way of deserving of your love. I'm in no way deserving to stand on this stage. I'm no way deserving to open this word and to preach to this beautiful people. God, I am not deserving of any of this. And I am thankful that what this supper reminds us of is it has nothing to do with what we deserve. By your grace alone does it have nothing to do about what we deserve. We deserve punishment. We deserve death because of our sin, but you died for us at the right time that we may have life. And so as I take this bread and I drink this sweet cup, God, I am reminded of your goodness and your faithfulness even when I am not, even when we are not. 
And so, Lord, we are honored to come to the table today and to share this bread and this cup with one another as we remember you and the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. But God, I am thankful that your son is not dead, but he is alive. He is our conquering and reigning king. He is our victor. Christ, we love you and we praise your holy name. And so we ask now that even as we move into this time of response, Father, we are asking, move in our midst, move in our hearts. God, if there be men and women in this room who do not know you, God, that today would be the day that they call out for salvation. God, I pray for men and women in this room today, God, that if they are walking in darkness, God, that you would call them into marvelous light. God, may they not be afraid. May they not let uh, shame and guilt hold them hostage anymore. God, I pray that by your grace and in your spirit's power, you would break those chains that hold them down. Free them from the addiction. Free them from the shame and guilt. Free them from this idea of wanting to hide so nobody knows who we are. God, you see us fully. And so, Lord, I pray that we would respond as boldly. We trust that where we have fallen, we deserve death. But we are so thankful that at the right time, Christ came and died for us, the ungodly, that we may now be robed in his righteousness. So help us, Father, respond in a way that brings you most glory, most honor, and most praise. Lord, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray. And church, we stand and respond. Church, stand with me. This has been a production of Broadmoor Baptist Church. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with others, and don't forget to subscribe. To help us spread the word, please give us a five-star review, and tell your friends to subscribe as well. They can find us wherever they prefer to get their podcasts. And if you'd like more information about Broadmoor, please visit our website at broadmoor.org or connect with us on your favorite social media platform where we're listed as at my Broadmoor. Thanks for listening.